relationship with him, but also just how he provides for us on uh, a day-to-day and a week-to-week basis. And I know for me, looking back at 2012, it was just uh, very encouraging just to see how uh, God continued to be faithful to me and continued to provide for me. Um, but then also, I think it's a, it's a fun time for us as a church to really examine our lives and, and to think about what, what would it look like if we were all generous, if we all took that open-handed approach to life where we had our, you know, our materials and possessions and our gifts and time, and we laid them at the feet of the cross and at the feet of Jesus and said, Lord, use me, use my resources for your kingdom. So uh, we'll take a look at that uh, here in a minute after I pray. Lord, thank you uh, just for bringing everyone here this morning. Uh, thank you for each and every person. And I uh, thank you for Michael, uh, who's going to be preaching for us uh, this morning and bringing your word. And I pray that you would just be with him, uh, that you would speak clearly through him, and that you would just um, just use all the, the effort that he puts in on a week-to-week basis just uh, to prepare, um, just to share the word with us this morning. And I pray that you challenge each and every one of us on what it means for us to be generous and that uh, we would really move past being uh, self-centered people that are uh, looking to take care of ourselves and uh, really uh, make us people that view what we have as really belonging to you, Jesus, and uh, desiring to uh, use our gifts and our resources for your kingdom. So I just pray that this would be a time where we can reflect on that and grow in that area as well. So just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, John. Uh, let me extend my welcome. Glad you guys are here, uh, especially if you're maybe new today or just new over the past few weeks. Uh, thankful that you guys uh, are coming uh, on a Sunday, as John mentioned. Uh, we just started a couple weeks ago a series that's really going to be a theme and curious uh, throughout 2013. Uh, and the theme is just simply, as John mentioned, uh, be generous. Uh, specifically, that we would be generous uh, to all people uh, at all times with all things. Uh, so no matter where you are, no matter what's going on, or no matter who you're with, uh, you would filter the decisions that you make uh, on a day-to-day basis. What would be the most generous thing that I could do right now with this person, with the resources that I have at my disposal? Uh, and you do that very thing. Uh, and so last uh, two weeks, we've looked at uh, what is it, what does generous living even mean, and what does that look like? And then last week, we looked at uh, generous servants. What is the, the portrait, so to speak, of uh, someone who is a generous servant? Uh, this week, we're going to talk about the ever-so-uncomfortable oh, ever topic of money. And I know you're all excited to hear about money in church, uh, but what's really sad to me, though, is uh, anytime money gets brought up, whether it's actually in church, like a message like this, or just people get weird, uh, and they get all just strange and like sometimes even offended, like, how dare you even talk about money and ask about money and um, so my hope as we talk uh, about generous giving, and clearly we're going to be talking about uh, money and finances and resources and things like that, that uh, you wouldn't check out. You wouldn't just be like, you know what? I don't want to hear about money. Uh, what's sad to me is, and I'm sure you've seen this before, maybe this is a bit of your story, is there are so many people that are just swimming in mounds and mounds and mounds of debt, uh, and there's no one offering any help. Uh, there's no one to even talk about like, well, how did you get here, and, and how are some ways that we can get free from this, and how are some ways that you can avoid this happening again? Um, so I'm going to talk about money specifically because Scripture talks a ton about money, finances, and resources. So uh, my big question that I want to ask today and that we're going to work through and wrestle with uh, is a simple question, but hopefully really a life-changing question of what does it mean to be rich towards God? I think most of us would have an answer for, well, I know what it means to be rich uh, in terms of like the world's eyes. I know what it means to be rich and have certain things and have this money and have this type of house and have these labels on my clothing and this type of car and go to these places, all that kind of stuff. Most of us could describe what it means to be rich in terms of how the world would describe wealth and riches. Um, But I'm not talking about that. I'm asking the question, What does it mean to be rich towards God? Uh, How would you currently answer that question? Uh, Jesus was once asked a question, and uh, Jesus was asked uh, the question, would you, actually it wasn't even a question, Uh, a man came along to Jesus and said, would you please tell my brother to share his inheritance with me? Uh, And so rather than Jesus doing what the guy asked him, Jesus was like, well, since you bring that up, let me tell you a story. 
Uh, and this is what Jesus told in response to a brother who was like, would you tell my, my uh, brother to share his inheritance? He said to them, this is in Luke chapter 12, uh, verse 15. Then he said to them, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced good crop. And so he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, well, this is what I'll do. And notice this conversation is not taking place in the context of with someone else. When we talk about money, we usually talk about money and think about money and plan with money with ourselves. We make it this private thing that no one else can know about, that no one else can speak into. And this is what's happening in this story is this guy's having a conversation with himself. So he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, well, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to myself, <laughs> you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. That's the conversation that this guy had with himself. I got so much stuff, what shall I do? Well, I have an idea. I'll just take down the stuff that I, the barns that are holding my, my things, and I'll build even bigger ones so I can put more things in there. I'll kick back, I'll relax, I'll eat, I'll drink, I'll be merry. And the response uh, that Jesus said uh, of what, how God would respond to this individual is this. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then, who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. So what does it mean to be rich towards God? I don't know about you, but I don't want God to look at me and say, you're a fool. You're a fool. My heart for me, for you, for all of us, would be that God would look at us and say, you are rich towards me. So the question that we're answering today is, I don't want to play the part of a fool, and I wouldn't want that for any of you, and I hope that you wouldn't want that. Like, who would willingly say, yes, I would love to be a fool. I would love for God to look at me and say, you're a fool. I don't think anyone would want that. So I want to share with you three things that are just biblical truths of uh, what it would look like, what it would mean to live a life that is consistent with one who is desirous to be rich towards God. So I'm going to share three things with you and I encourage you to write these three things down. Number one would simply be this. God is better than gold. God's better than gold. Now, I know, or I think all of us would probably agree, you've heard the phrase, you know, money can't buy me happiness. Um, I think most of us would say, yeah, I get it. Money can't buy me happiness. But our lives are lived in such a way where we're trying to prove that theory wrong, uh, where we're, we know it's not really the best path, but we just think to ourselves, if I just had a little bit more, if I just had this, then I would be happier. I would have a new level of contentment that I, I don't have. But if you believe that God is, in fact, better than gold, and gold meaning better than the treasures, the wealth, so to speak, of this world, if you believe that, then you are well on your way to living and walking on the road towards being a man or woman, young or old, who is rich towards God. So it starts with, do you believe that God is actually, in fact, better than gold, that what you would have with God and knowing God, relationship with God, is better than any worldly wealth treasures that you could have? If you believe that, you're on the path towards being rich towards God because that's the road that's leading you towards godliness, not towards worldliness. If you believe that God is better than gold, then you're not going to be confused as to who you are, what you're about, and ultimately who you're serving. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 6. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, I don't know if that's surprising you, but when, you, when I read that, I'm like, well, it would make so much more sense if Jesus said, you can't serve both God and Satan. Like, those are polar opposites. Like, that makes sense. Like, Jesus, why would you say you can't serve both God 
and money. Well, it's a pretty good chance that none of us are going to literally bend the knee and bow down, so to speak, to a, a picture of, of, uh, of Satan, of Lucifer, of the devil. But most of us, all of us, are tempted and struggle with literally serving money rather than serving God because we believe that gold collected will do something for us that maybe God is not doing for us. Let me ask you the question, how often do you think about money? I'm guessing you're thinking about it a lot right now. But just day to day throughout your week, how often do you think about money? How often do you think about how much you actually owe? How much do you often think about how much you don't have or how much you need or how much you'd love to have? Like just on a day-to-day basis, I'm, it's a pretty safe guess that most of us could say, well, probably a few hours a day are consumed with thinking about money, of what I would like to get and what I can't get. How can I figure out how I can get that? What we're consumed with, meaning what we think about, is the very thing that we're serving, the very thing that we're following. And so Jesus is essentially saying, if, if your God is gold, then you will give yourself, you will follow, as it were, gold, and you'll be consumed with it. The man or woman who is ultimately rich towards God is convinced that God is so much better than gold. Now, I don't want you to walk away from this message and be like, well, Michael said money is terrible and we shouldn't have it and we should just all live on the street. And I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying that money is bad. I'm not saying the Bible never even says that money is bad. But what the Bible does say is a love for it, a passion for it. Being consumed with it, it will mess you up. Having a love for money leads to all sorts of evil. This is what Paul tells Timothy. In 1 Timothy 6, but people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money have wandered from true faith, the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. That is really loud language. The image that Paul is painting of, there are some people because they love it so much, they want it so much, they think about it, they've actually wandered away and they've fallen on the sword. They literally have pierced themselves. And it's caused all sorts of problems in their life. If you would be rich towards God, you would be convinced that God is better than gold. I'm guessing that many here might agree with this, but how you understand money is going to have a profound impact and influence on your relationship with God. Like, I know we try to privatize our finances and what we do with our finances from our relationship with God, uh, but that's not biblical. And um, this is, uh, Randy Alcorn wrote a great book called The Treasure Principle, said this, there's a fundamental connection between our spiritual lives and how we think about and handle money. We may try to divorce our faith and our finances, but God sees them as inseparable. So we might not like to think about it and talk about it, but how you think about money is having a profound impact on your relationship with God right now. So obviously the question is, how is your understanding, your view of money impacting your relationship towards God? If you're one who is on the road towards being rich towards God, then it's enriching your relationship with God. But if you're convinced, or at least your life would say you're convinced that gold is better, you'll get farther and farther. You'll drift away, as it were, from a relationship with God. Um, I don't know if any of you guys invest, but if you do invest, uh, say you're going to invest $1,000. Um, just pick a number. If you're going to invest $1,000, but you knew that that investment would, would just totally fail, like you would get no return on it, you would lose all your money, you knew that in advance, you had some secret insider knowledge, would you still invest your $1,000? Well, if you would, I would probably call you a fool uh, you know, for doing that. That would be ridiculous. It's just throwing money away. 
And what Jesus is essentially saying is if you go after gold, if you go after the world's wealth, so to speak, the treasures of this world, you're making a really bad investment. Most of us get wanting to make good investments. Uh, so if Jesus is leading us and teaching and speaking, here is a good investment. This is what he says again in Matthew uh, 6. Uh, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. He's not saying that treasures are, are evil. What he's saying is they just won't last. He's saying it's either going to be devoured, it's going to be destroyed, or it's just going to be taken from you. It's just a bad investment. So if you give yourself over to seeking the treasures and wanting that and desiring that, you're wanting something that is just a bad investment because at the end of the day, it won't last. And as we seek these things and pursue these things, one of the things that just happens is we forget the great things that we already have in God. I love in Hebrews how it says, uh, Hebrews chapter 13, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Like that's, are you content right now with what you have? Because most of us, at least if we're honest, would say, well, if I had this, then I'd be a little bit more content. But it says, be content, keep your lives free from love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. If I'm not convinced that God is better than gold, then I will forget this amazing promise from God to me, from God to you. I'm with you. I will never leave you. When it says forsake, it means I will never forget about you. Wealth, finances, treasure, gold, they will be gone. They will forget about you, but not me. God says, I will never forsake you. I will never forget about you, and I will never leave you. So the first thing I would want you to catch is if you would be rich towards God, you would be convinced that God is better than gold. And you would not be storing up treasures for yourself this side of heaven, but be storing up for yourself treasures literally in heaven. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 6. Store uh, your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there uh, the desires of your heart will also be. When I think of someone who is a generous giver um, and someone who lived a life that really exemplified that they were rich towards God, they didn't play the part of the fool, they stored up treasures, meaning things that matter for eternity, that's what they gave their resources, their time, their monies themselves to. Think of a a handful of people. But one guy that comes to mind is a a missionary by the name uh, of Jim Elliott. He was a missionary to Ecuador, and he was a pretty young man when he went to Ecuador to serve uh, a very remote tribe, to love them, to engage and build relationships, uh, to give all of himself to these people. And he died. And in his journal, he was killed very early on in his missionary travels uh, to Ecuador. And uh, maybe you've heard this quote before. It's pretty famous. But Jim Elliott once said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And it's, again, it's what Jesus is talking about. If you're going to be a fool, well, then you're going to try to keep everything that won't last. But if you would be rich towards God, a generous giver, you would give everything away knowing that you haven't lost anything because treasures in heaven is gain, both now and for eternity. So rich towards God, I'm convinced that God is better than gold. Number two would be this. Um, Heaven is better than our best homes. Might be an odd way to think about this, but if you would be rich towards God, the second thing that I would challenge you um, with is heaven is better than, make it personal, your best home. John 14 says it like this. Don't let your hearts be troubled. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples who are troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going 
to prepare a place for you. If I believe that Jesus is preparing a place for me in heaven, if I really believe that, and I don't know if you're familiar with John 14, and maybe you've read that and you've never thought about it in the context of of money and finances and treasure, but if I really believe, if you believe that Jesus is really preparing a place for you, man, then I don't have to worry about what my place here looks like. I can literally live my life as one passing through. I can live my life much like a pilgrim that is not really concerned with all the things that I have or all the things that I can amass for myself here, but a pilgrim learns how to live and travel lightly, taking what he needs for the journey ahead and also leaving behind what's just not that important. So if I really believe that Jesus is preparing a place for me here, well, then I can bank on the fact that his place is going to be so much better than the temporal things that I could give myself to here. Now, this might be a ridiculous question, but play along. Uh, You ever stay in a hotel? You ever spend a a night or two or three or a week in a hotel? Uh, Have have you ever done this where you walked into your hotel room and you're like, wow, I just don't like the bed and, and the dressers and I don't like the paint on the walls. I don't like these pictures and that flat screen is not big enough. So did you ever think that to yourself and then actually take that thought, you know what, I'm going to go decorate this hotel a little bit better. I'm going to go get a nicer TV. I'm going to go get like a Tempur-Pedic mattress bed and I'm going to get nicer dressers. And did you ever think to yourself, you know, I just don't like this room, so I'm going to jazz it up a little bit. I think it's ridiculous because everyone would be like, that's just, that's ridiculous. That's stupid. You wouldn't do that. Like, why would you invest in a room, as it were, that you were as temporary? If most of us believe that silly example of investing in a hotel room with nicer things is silly, then why would we not transfer that to how we live our lives? Now, my point is simply this. If you believe that there's nothing, well, if you believe that there's really nothing after this life, then it makes sense for you to grab as much as you can in this life. But if you are convinced that an eternal God has has made it possible for you to have an eternal relationship with him, then you're now freed to live life more like a pilgrim, learning literally how to travel lightly. Silly example, but so many of our lives are amassing things for ourselves You wouldn't do it in a hotel room, so why would we do it with our lives? This is what Jesus said in Luke 12, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Again, I think most of us would agree with that, but we also try to, or our lives reflect more of trying to prove that Jesus might be wrong, and we live for the immediate pleasures, the immediate conveniences, as it were, rather than investing in the eternal pleasures that Jesus is preparing for us, literally, in heaven. I think what I'm really trying to get at here and and hit hard is the idea of consumerism. The idea that we just consume and we consume and we consume, thinking that more consumption will do something for us. And if you believe that this is not all that there is, that this life, there's so much more to this life, then You won't consume all there is in this life. You'll literally lay up the treasures in heaven. Scripture is is not silent on consuming and consumption. Paul says this to Timothy uh, in uh, chapter 6, verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant and not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Let me read that again but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation. Where? In heaven, in the coming age, in eternity. It's not laying up treasures that's going to build a foundation for a great home and house here. It's a uh, foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of life that is 
truly life. What God is trying to spare us from is trying to build a life and find life in something other than what he has provided for us in him. I don't know about you, but I don't want to play the fool. I do want to live rich towards God, and I want to live, as it says in 1 Timothy, that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. And it's not found in in consuming. For me, life that is truly life is a life that is just saying, God, I want to be generous with what you've given. I want to be used by you to bless others, to encourage others, to inspire others. God, if there's a way that you could use me, that's life that's truly life. In a book that has stuck with me for the past 14 years since seminary, uh, when I first read this book, um, I was in a pastoral theology class, and we were uh, told we had to read John Piper's book, Brothers, We Are Not Professionals. And there was a chapter in that book uh, that was just simply titled, Tell Them That Copper Will Do. And this is what he said, too many are more shaped by the consumer culture than by the economics of Christ. They still operate on the simple rule, if you earned it, you deserve it. It's yours. Use it for your own material comfort. If you want to be a conduit of God's grace, you don't have to be lined with gold. Copper will do. I mean, that still to this day just convicts me to the core. Because I hope for you, like me, we want to live life that is truly life. We want to live lives that are being used by God. But that life doesn't need to be lined with gold. Copper will do. If we're honest, there's a lot of gold that we can get rid of and use that somehow to bless others because we want to be a conduit of God's grace. How God has been generous to us that we would be generous towards those around us. I I totally get that this is hard because it's easy to look at other people and be like, wow, they just... They look like they have so much. Look at that car. Look at that house. Look at that money. Look at their clothes. They can just go shopping and not like stress about it. Like they can put their credit card on the table and not freak out like if it's going to work or not. Like I know that it's easy to look at others and see all the stuff that they have that we don't have and think they must have it all. And scripture warns us not to gaze at the things that glitter because they fade. This is what he says, um, the psalmist says in 49. Do not be overawed when a man grows rich, when the splendor of his house increases. What a great challenge. Do not be overawed. That means don't be impressed when a man grows rich, when the splendor of his house increases. For he will take nothing with him when he dies. His splendor will not descend with him. It's easy to be impressed, but scripture says don't be overawed by that. For the very reason of it won't last. You can't take it with you. So rather than gazing at the things that just glitter for a time, gaze on the things of Christ. Namely, gaze on Christ himself and watch as you gaze upon him, you will become more like him. One who was rich towards God. One who was a generous giver. What would it look like, practically speaking, to give yourself to something, to give all of you, your time, your energy, your talent, your resources, your money, to something that actually matters, to something that is not temporal, but something that would be eternal? And my simple answer would just say, give yourself to people. Specifically, give your money, give your resources to helping people who don't know God come in to know God. Give your money, your time, your resources, your efforts, your energies to helping people who do know God learn how to walk with God so that they in turn can be used by God to help others who don't know God be used by God to help them find. Your greatest investment that you can give literally is investing in people. Give your money towards people. Now this would be, uh, I'm Take one on the chin here. This will be a question that will offend you. But if I were to look at your visa statement, if I were to look at your checkbook, what would your checkbook or your visa statement reveal about where you're giving yourself to? 
I mean, if we're honest, we don't really have to look beyond the credit card statement or the checking account um, to see where what we value and where would would we be able to look at those things and say, this is a man or a woman, man, they just care so much about people because they they're so generous in giving of their money's resources to people, giving of their monies and resources to help ministries within the church, to help fund missionaries. Uh, overseas, abroad. What would your checking or visa statement say about what you're giving yourself to? Now, I don't know. This saddens me and angers me. The average American Christian, so our country, gives 2.5% of their income away. Now, I don't know if that disturbs you, but it should. If there is going to be anyone on this planet who is generous, it should be Christians. Because you and I get more than anyone else how generous God has been to us. And dare I say it would be offensive that we give 2% of our income away. We can do it better. Now, I don't know what the percentage looks like here in Genesis, but 2.5%, we can do better. And this is not, don't get stuck on it's got to be 10. Why not give 15? Why not give 20? Give your money. Give your resources to people. Because that is an eternal investment. Being rich toward God would be convinced that God is better than gold. Would be convinced that heaven is better than whatever our best might be here. My prayer, and this was really Paul's prayer for the Corinthians, is he said this in 2 Corinthians 8, but just as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Like I know sometimes the message that you get is, man, like let's excel in being godly and spending time in the word and, and praying and share your faith and Those are all good things. Those are all godly things. But Paul says, but don't forget. Don't forget that you would excel in this grace of giving. Let's excel in it. Let's be ridiculous in how generous we are. And see what God might do with a community of men and women who said 2.5%. That's offensive. We're going to do better. And we will be the community that is so generous that it's having an impact on the community and the culture around us because we just can't stop giving. Number three, and finish with this one. Everything that's yours is actually his. (laughs) So if you would be rich towards God, you'd have to have that aha wake-up moment um, where you're like, wow, Gosh, everything in my life actually is not mine. It belongs to God. If you are convinced that what you have is yours because you've earned it and you deserve it and you need it, you're going to play the part of a fool. You won't live a life rich towards God. But if you are convinced that everything that's yours is actually his, wow, that is, again, living on the path towards being one who is rich towards God. Now, Tim Chester, uh, Steve Timms wrote a great book recently um, called Everyday Church, and they said this, if I'm a steward, then I own nothing. Everything I have is a gift, and it has been given to me to uh, be a means of God blessing others. This is the biblical doctrine of stewardship. We do not possess anything. Instead, what we have has been given by God to us so that we can use it to bless others. You'd be rich towards God. You've got to get beyond the idea that you're an owner and move forward with the concept that you're a manager or that you are a steward. Everything that you have in your life, I want you to know everything you have in your life, from the clothes you're wearing to the socks you have to the car you came in uh, to the resources you have in your account, to everything you have, it it belongs to God. This is what, what Scripture says. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. That's Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. 
Job 41.11, everything under heaven belongs to me. So everything under heaven, that would include me and you and everything in between, belongs to God. 1 Corinthians 6, you do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. Again, we struggle with this because we're like, but I worked for it. I deserve this. I earned it. It's mine. You may have worked for it, but you've only worked for it and were able to receive it because God enabled you and put you in a place and a position to be where you are receiving what you have. And it's all his. So the question just simply becomes, God, if everything in my life is yours, it belongs to you, how can I begin to use everything that I have in my life from the socks in my drawer to the monies in my account to the car that I drive? How could I begin to use this to glorify you and in a way that would be an incredible benefit to those around me? Now, by maybe raise your hand, some participation here. How many of you would just love to be completely free? And I mean completely free of all anxiety and worry in your life. Raise your hand. I mean, no, no worry, no anxiety. Okay? All of us. Some of you didn't raise your hand, wake up, because a question was just asked. All of us would love to be free from anxiety and worry. Do you know how you can live a life free of anxiety and worry? I'm just a steward of this. I don't own this. I don't need to worry about that which I do not own. But if I really believe that I own this, then I will worry about it. How can I, how can I keep it? How can I not let this thing that I own escape me? How can I make sure that no one else takes what I own, what I've deserved, what I've earned, what I've worked for? But if you see yourself as just a, as a steward, as a manager, I don't need to be worried about it because it's God's. It belongs to God. And if God wants to use it somehow, some way in my life for a season, then great. But as soon as God sees fit to take this in order to use it to bless someone else, greater. I don't need to be worried about it because it's his. John Wesley, who was a um, pastor, preacher, theologian, uh, traveled a lot preaching the gospel. Um, while he was out traveling preaching, someone came up to him and said, Mr. Wesley, something terrible happened. Your house burned to the ground. John Wesley weighed the news, then calmly replied, no, the Lord's house burned to the ground. That means one less responsibility for me. Now, when I first read that story, that account, I, I laughed, but then I was like, wow, I am so far from there. I still have things in my hands that I know mentally they belong to God, but I still treat them like I own them. And that if they were to break or bust or be stolen, or I would be pretty bummed. I want to get to the point, and I desire you to get to the point, that we'd be rich towards God, that if the car gets in an accident, if money is taken, or if money is asked to be given, or clothes, whatever it might be, it's okay. It's God's. It belongs to Him. He can use it however He sees fit. Now, this morning I want to finish um, with a practical, some practical way that you could leave here uh, knowing that you're a steward of something. So I want to ask our, our welcome team, our connections team, to pass out. I've got some white envelopes for you. And uh, as they are giving out uh, these white envelopes, uh, I want to give you an opportunity in practical ways uh, to see what stewardship really looks like. Uh, so go ahead and pass them out. Uh, the envelopes that are coming uh, is going to have money in them. And uh, each of these envelopes, you're either going to get a 5, a 10, a 20, or a 50. So all of these envelopes uh, have a gift for you. And the challenge as you uh, get these envelopes uh, is, okay, if everything that I have actually belongs to God, including this white envelope, God, what do you want me to do with it? God, how could I use what's in this white envelope to glorify you and maybe somehow, some way, bless somebody else.
So everyone will get one. We've got enough envelopes uh, for both services. Everyone left here this morning uh, with a white envelope, and uh, you're going to leave here with either a 5, a 10, a 20, or a 50. And there's a card. Don't open this envelope now. I promise you this is not a hoax. There's really cash in there. And there's a card uh, along with uh, inside the envelope, and it just says, be generous. And on the back, there's a little note that uh, if you feel led, you can give that to the person. Uh, and it's got just a simple uh, uh, thing of what we're doing here and, and why we're doing this. Um, on, on your envelope, uh, take a pen. I want you to write these things down on, on your envelope uh, so you can remember what we're doing with these envelopes. So there should be a pen in the chair in front of you. If not, just take one from the person next to you. But uh, write these. I'm going to give you five short uh, two-liners. Okay, so on your envelope, somewhere on the envelope, write these five things. Number one would be this. Be prayerful. Be prayerful. And I really want you to pray, God, this is yours. It belongs to you. Um, so, God, I want to pray, where would you want me to use this? How could I use what's yours that you've now given me? You've been entrusted with this. And I get that some of you may be like, this is only $5. Everything you have in your life, whether it's a dollar, five, ten, twenty, a hundred, a thousand, whatever it is, everything belongs to God. So you pray, be prayerful, God, how could I use this? To somehow bless, encourage, inspire, benefit somebody else. Number two, right? Be prayerful. Number two, right? Be alert. Galatians 6 says this, Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. So number two is be alert. Pay attention to the people around you. Be alert to the opportunities that God will place you in today. Maybe tomorrow at work. Keep the envelope with you so that you're alert. You've you're prayed about it. You're alert to the opportunity. So when the opportunity arises, you enter into that moment. And you're ready to be generous. Why? Because you're a steward of something that God gave you today. So be prayerful. Number two, uh, be alert. Number three is be faithful. Don't just tuck this in your pocket and forget about it and be like, it's just five bucks. It's just 10 bucks. It's just 20. It's just 50. Don't, don't do that. What I'm trying to pass along to you is an example of what Jesus taught. And he taught a parable of talents. And he said, some were given one, some two, some five, some, some more. And the people who received what, what were, was given to them, there was only a few of them who went out and multiplied it. And this is what Jesus said uh, in Matthew 25. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Just be faithful with what God's given you. Be faithful with it. And I really want you to hear what God would say, what Jesus would say to you when it just says, full of praise, enter into my joy. Be faithful with your five, with your 10, with your 20, with your 50. Be faithful with it. And watch what God might do with what you deemed as small and use it in such a significant, profound way to bless somebody. You have no idea what, what blessing someone in, in, in this small but tangible way could do. It could change their life. Because it could engage you in the conversation of like, why are you doing this? Well, I don't want to be a fool. I want to be rich towards God. What are you talking about? Well, let me tell you what it means to be rich towards God. What do you mean God's been generous to you? Let me tell you how God's been generous to me. You have no idea how God could take a simple, and I really mean this is simple, a 5, a 10, a, a white envelope, to change someone's life. And honestly, the life I'm hoping it changes is yours. That you see this is just such a simple example. You don't own anything. You're a steward of everything. So everything that is in your hands, be faithful with it. That's three. Number four, be joyful. Have fun with this. Enjoy this. Have fun. There's a great scripture verse that says, you must each decide in your heart 
how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Is he cheerful in this? I think sometimes we wait, like, I'm just, I'm not cheerful, so therefore I won't give, because I know God loves a cheerful giver, and so, since I'm not cheerful, I'm somehow exempt from giving. What I have found, at least in my experiences, is that uh, cheerfulness comes in the actual act of giving. Cheerful actually is a result of generosity. So, be joyful, be cheerful with this. And the fifth thing, final thing, is this. Be generous now. Be generous now. And I would even challenge you, don't be afraid to outdo this example. So if you got a five, hey, no one's telling you you can't put in an additional five. No one's telling you that you can't put in an additional 10 or 20. Be generous, but be generous now. I don't know if you know the story of Oscar Schindler. I was going to show you a clip. I'm not going to show you the clip because of time. But um, if you're familiar with Oscar Schindler, uh, he was an Austrian-born man who had an incredible heart uh, for the Jews uh, who were being persecuted to the point of death. And he made it his life's ambition to rescue and save uh, and buy as many Jews as he possibly could in order to rescue and redeem them from assured death in the camps, literally in the death camps. And um, it was said that uh, he rescued roughly about 1,200 people. And I remember when Kyle and I were in Israel, we went to his gravesite in uh, Jerusalem where he's buried. And, man, it was awesome. It was awesome just to see the things that were around his grave and even some of the notes, uh, the profound impact that this one guy had because he decided to be generous now. But the thing with Oscar Schindler, if you've seen the movie Schindler's List, at the end of the movie... He just breaks down tears. He's literally just weeping. He's surrounded by uh, the thousand plus Jews that the war has ended, and he's surrounded by these Jews who are now free. And he's just overwhelmed with the thought, could have done more. If you've ever seen the movie, you, you understand my tears. It was such a heart-wrenching scene. Because he's surrounded by so many people that he helped. But he was consumed with this thought of, I could have done more. And he looked at his car, and he went over and hits, hits the car, and he's like, this was 15 more people. Why did I hang on to this? This was 15 more Jews. And he looks at his pen in his pocket. He was like, this was at least two, if not three more Jews. And the people try to comfort him and encourage him and said, Oscar, you've done so much for so many. Generations will be forever impacted because of what you've done, because of your generosity. He says, you don't know. I was so foolish with my money. I wasted so much. I could have given more. I don't want to get to the end of my life and have that moment where I break down with this thought of, I could have done more. I could have done more to help one, to serve this one, to give. I don't want to be stuck at the end of my life with just the mass of stuff that I've just collected. So be generous now. Don't wait until this crazy, awesome story three weeks. Be generous now. Do it today. Do it tomorrow at work. But be generous now. Rich towards God. Being convinced that God is better than gold, being convinced that heaven is so much better than any temporary pleasures we might have here, and being convinced that everything that's yours is actually his. Being a steward. I hope these white envelopes will help you, encourage you, and be memorable to you of everything we have is God's. Let's be stewards of it. Let's be prayerful what we are stewards of. Let's be alert to the opportunities. Let's be faithful. Let's be joyful. But let's be generous today. I'm really excited to hear uh, some of the stories that might come back, not only from your Be Generous stories, but from the people that were impacted by your generosity. And when you open the envelope, that will make a little bit more sense. Father God, I give you thanks that you have been incredibly generous to each of us. God, I give thanks that uh, 
You don't desire any of us to play or to live the life of a fool. But you call us, you invite us to be men and women who would be rich towards you. God, it's not lost on me that talking about money and finances and generosity is challenging to the core of who we are. But God, I pray just by your spirit, a wave would just wash over us. God, that we would be convinced and we would live in light of what we're convinced of. God, that you are so much better than gold. God, that the home, the eternity that you are preparing for us is so much better than anything we could consume here. And God, that everything we have in our life is a gift from you to us that you've called us to steward. And God, I pray we would steward it well. God, I pray we'd steward these white envelopes well. God, I pray you would use us and these white envelopes just to be a demonstration not only of stewardship but of generosity. God, I pray that uh, something would happen today or tomorrow in our lives where we would have the opportunity to be generous and tell the story of a generous God. God, thank you so much for being generous towards us. Pray that, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Excited to worship now, excited to celebrate communion, because uh, every time we celebrate communion, which is every week, it reminds me again and again and again that God's been generous. He's been generous to me. He's been generous to you. He's been generous because a loving God, a holy God, a righteous God made a way for sinful people to have a relationship with him now and forever. So if you've placed your faith in Christ, if you have a relationship with Jesus, uh, come and celebrate communion today. Whether you come by yourself, come with a friend, come with spouse or your entire family, come and celebrate communion if you've received Christ by faith. And give thanks to Jesus as you take the bread and dip it in the wine or juice. Jesus, thanks for being generous to me. You gave all so that I could have all. And if you're not a Christian, today's your day. Today's your day to receive the generosity of God towards you. Today's the day you can literally by faith just pray, receive. Jesus, I want to receive you into my life as the one and only one who makes me right with God. I'm going to have some of our leaders on my left and right that if there's just something that's heavy on your heart, if there's just something you're thinking about, questioning, struggling with, please just take a step of faith and invite them or allow them just to listen, hear what's going on, and then pray with you and pray for you. But as you're ready, come and celebrate communion today. My name is Grace.